back. You're now listening to Chunky Glasses, the podcast. This is our latest episode, episode 80. Uh, if you are one of our 11 listeners, you might notice it is slightly delayed. Things got a little backed up here uh, with business, like actual business. We have real jobs. I have a real job. Uh, so sometimes it gets hard to put all this together. Uh, so that definitely happened. Um, this episode... We talk about Ryan Adams' new album, self-titled, Ryan Adams. Going into this, this is one of those weird ones because uh, I really... The thing I enjoy most about doing any of this is this podcast because I enjoy sitting down with people and and just talking about music. I would do it if I wasn't recording this. Um, But uh, sometimes it doesn't really work out, I think. Um, This is maybe one of those times... Uh, it turned into sort of a hilarious conversation, but I think uh, as much as I do enjoy this album, um, I actually only like it because uh, there's a lot of songs that sound like Glenn Fry from the uh, Miami Vice soundtrack. Actually, that's not entirely true, but um, it turns out we didn't have a lot to say about it. Um, and so it just sort of dwindles off, much like this is dwindling off. Uh, so... Uh, check it out. You can, or just check out like what we said about it. Uh, like I said, it is, it's pretty funny. Uh, if you listen to these podcasts before, pretty funny conversation, uh, but not our finest critical hour, uh, with this. Uh, and one, one thing, other thing I want to talk about, uh, speaking of delays and whatnot, uh, Ryan Adams did his, uh, CD release party here last week, last Monday. Uh, this, I'm recording this Sunday night and there was, a little situation, uh, first involving what's known as a rights grab uh, release for photographers, which basically says that the ar- the artist owns those photos. Uh, that's never okay. Um, and then uh, the all the photographers are basically told that you know you have to shoot from a place that really isn't a good place to shoot. It's called front of the house. Uh, that the nine thirty club is in front of the soundboard. Uh, but unless you come with a lens prepared for that, because usually you're sort of up front behind a barricade or at the very least in the crowd hanging out for three hours before the artist comes out, uh, if there is no barricade at the edge of the stage. Um, but in front of the house, it's a soundboard shoot. So you need a bigger lens. You need a stool if you're short. Uh, you deal with a whole lot of other things. You just can't get good shots. So that all that was sprung on us at the last minute. Um, and... For all uh, of Adam's career being fussy, uh, I, after hearing the album, was actually sort of excited. And if you read all the press, he's coming out of it. He's, he's, he's feeling better and he's, he's doing all this stuff. Uh, he used to be pretty antagonistic towards the audience, uh, sometimes rightfully so. You're a dick if you say, please, number 69. Uh, but... Uh, you know, at the end of the day, he, people pay to come see him, and he has a responsibility to that. Uh, I tend to think that, uh, yeah, people pay to come see him, but he also, like, if you want media to cover you, you have a responsibility to that. Um, it's not hard. You know, there's there's various samples. We'll, we'll probably talk about this in the podcast, but it's a very simple process. You ask somebody who's in charge of deciding uh, who can attend his media, they say yes or no, um, which is usually a drawn-out process. Uh, And then you go, and the tour manager usually either decides or conveys the wishes of the artist, like where those people are going to shoot from. Now, traditionally, that is up front behind a barricade. 
uh, in this case, uh, like we said, is front of house. And in, so instead of being antagonistic towards the audience, uh, it seems that it's spilled over towards the media. Uh, I I feel like, I mean, look, the artist has the right to, to represent himself and have his image represented however he likes. Uh, if you want to basically be a dick and do a rights grab uh, release, then that is your right. And it is also your right not to sign it. The, the photographer of the Washington Post did not. That's why they had no photos. Um, but more importantly, if if you don't want people coming out for whatever reason, like if you, if you feel like media there is, is sort of, you know, it's going to kill the vibe or something or interfere with the audience and you want to be closer to your audience. That's your right and, and do that. And that's fine. But say that, say, you know what? We're just not letting media in. I've covered him before. He had no photographers. No problem. Uh, it was out at Strathmore. It was a great show. Uh, Jason Isbell opened for him. Um, but this, you know, you have an expectation like, okay, so we're, we're going to be shooting and, and to do this is just off-putting. It'll be the last time that, like, I certainly cover him. Uh, I've seen him enough times to know uh, he's good and know what you're getting. Uh, but, you know, it's a lot of work putting together, uh, like, just editing photos from a show. And especially if those photos basically suck because you didn't have the right gear. Which there's no way you could know you had the right gear. So, um, not just to Ryan Adams people, uh, but to artists everywhere. Like maybe consider uh, what you, how you want your relationships to be with the media. Uh, we're pretty good people. Um, in general, we're fans, uh, and really, at the end of the day, we want to. We're concerned with making you look good because. Why would we put out a bad product, especially in that arena? Like we're coming to you, we're at the show. Um, there's no like gotcha to it. Like we take our photos, uh, we write our reviews. I mean, if it's bad, it's a bad review. But but we write these things and we do them the best we can. And and most importantly, we want to make it look good for you, so other people will be like. I also enjoy this artist. Now I know more about this artist. I want to go see this artist. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I don't think I've ever done a rant like that on this podcast, and it's ran too long, so apologize. Uh, but that happened, and we talked a little bit about it in the podcast. So at any rate, now, going forward, uh, we're going to be, like I said, talking about Ryan Adams. Ryan Adams, the album name, uh, on this Chunky Glasses, the podcast, episode number 80. It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man Nearly a two-word review just a shit sandwich. That right there, he is a wonderful power.
Yeah, man. All right. Uh, welcome back, you guys. Paul, over there checking your phone as usual. Yep. Uh, welcome back, Adam. Hey, man. Uh, this year has been, there's been some surprise big releases. Uh, album we're going to talk about today. It was not a, it was not a surprise it was coming out. I, I'm actually sort of surprised that I, I like it, which we'll get to a mm-hmm. little later. Uh, Ryan Adams, one of the most prolific songwriters of this generation, at least, uh, just sort of keeps on cranking them out. Um, he was with Whiskey Town. He was a long solo career, highs and lows. I mean, we'll run down some albums a little later. Um, but yeah, that dropped on Tuesday, so we're finally getting around to it. A little mm-hmm. delayed here. First up, though, what also dropped on Tuesday, whether you like it or not, whether you like it or not, um, new U two album. So there's an Apple event on Tuesday. I know Paul's going to be racing out to get his iWatch. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have eye everything. You Are do. you one of those campers, man? Do you camp out? Are you a camp out guy? No, no I, no, I no. have no Apple products. Oh, okay. None, okay. None. No, that, was, that was sarcasm. It makes yes. some itch oh. coming down here. Uh, you got to get better at your sarcasm, dude. I know. <laughs> you have to be like, Paul, who's a real Apple guy. Yeah. You know, then, I would have gotten that. At any rate, um, you two had a little resurgence uh, a couple years ago after being away for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, knocked out some mediocre albums at best. Mm-hmm. Uh, killed it in the touring industry, though, and uh, made more money than anybody touring ever, I think. Um, I don't think, yeah. I, I, the last tour took him, what, $750 million? Yeah, Jeez. it's fucking insane. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. That's like more, they're worth more than Ecuador. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, <laughs> that's the thing. So, over under Avengers 2 or next to U2 tour. I know what's getting my money. Yeah. Um, but, uh, anyways, their new song, song uh, Songs of Innocence, dropped on Tuesday at the end of a very um, excitable Apple uh, press conference. Two new iPhones, a new iWatch. They come out on the stage, uh, they play this song, The Miracle of Joey Ramone. And Tim Cook says, well, you know, you like that? How'd you like to have more of that right now? Boom. It's out. You get a U2 album. You get a U2 U2 album. It's like Oprah. It is like Oprah. Uh, The install base right now, uh, I think this is just in America, is 500 million people for iTunes. So it's 500 million people who now have, yeah. In America? It might be in America. There are not 500 million people in America. Like 200 million people in America. This is not a podcast about math, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Every man, woman, and child <laughs> in America has two copies. Right. <laughs> uh, at any rate, so there's been a lot of discussion uh, about that release tactic because uh, some say it basically says music is free. Um, I'm interested to know what you guys think, and then and I'm going to sort of weigh in on it. But uh, what do you think? You, you think just giving it away and it's free? It's, it just pops up like junk mail, uh, as Chris Richards said in your inbox. Yeah, I think just. Giving it a giving the album away to around 200 million people, or basically anyone who has an iPhone. Uh, like for instance, I just on the subway here, I was going through my music, and I was like, "When the hell did this U2 album get it? <laughs> what?" Um, and whether I wanted it or not, it just sort of popped up like an amber alert, you know. Yeah. And um, that's the kind of thing that you can get away with when you make 750 million dollars on a tour. Um, you can just give away your albums, right? Yeah. But but I imagine people who are kind of scraping by. Um, are not too keen on the the idea of, of 
but just you, give but it away. But do you think that it, it actually says devalues music to the point that it says, you know what, these albums, uh, this music is worth nothing? No, I can't no. imagine people are going to go like, or people are going to be like, well, you too gave their album away, so why don't I just pirate everything? You right. Know? Because because a lot of like a lot of people said actually, yeah, Alex from Paper House I was talking to him about it. Uh, he he falls into that camp a little. Uh, he had a, had a quote I don't have in front of me, but it was in all caps. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it, it is it's getting strong reactions on both sides. Uh, you know, they did come out and say this album's free. Right. The reality is, it was not free. Apple paid upwards of a hundred million dollars for it. Jesus. So, in this, really, yeah, they so, paid a hundred million. You two, a hundred million dollars. Yeah. So, Apple's so, got a lot of cash. Yeah, I know, yeah. but so does you too. It's just, money at this to point, keep, money, money is to keep meaningless to both money of them. Company. You know. Um, so, but at, at this point, like when we're looking at a failed label system, and artists are like really struggling, to, like to get paid for anything. I mean, do you see that as like basically corporate sponsorship outright as a viable model here? Or is this only a U2 thing? I think it's – I don't think it's anything that you can draw big conclusions from, mm-hmm. honestly. I think that it's getting everybody talking like uh, like Radiohead did when mm-hmm. they were you know, effectively giving away in rainbows, pay for whatever you want. But you could do that because you're Radiohead. Yeah. And you but, can do this because you're U2. Because this was essentially like U2 at this point is not a band. They're just – it's brand. It's brand uh-huh. synergy. Yeah. They've got a relationship with Apple that dates back over a decade from when they were doing the first generation uh, – the commercials for the first generation uh, iPod. iPods. Yes. And – these two companies just wanted to be in business together and saw this as a mutually beneficial marketing relationship. That's really what it came down to. I don't think it says anything about your rank and file musician or even about your large band. Like mm-hmm. they are in a unique position among bands. They're, it's probably like there's one of like five. It's, yeah, it's like yeah, them, Springsteen, Radiohead. Like yeah. who else can do this? Well, it's funny because like I, I think Beyonce probably could if she wanted to. <laughs> well, she did, and I mean, well, but Beyonce but did different, something different. Uh, did different That's, things, and so like like the, the grossness for me is that this is pushed into your inbox. If I have the option to get it, and and uh, be clear, I've listened to the album multiple times. I, I've taken the heat for this, uh, and and it sucks. But, but that's uh, an it, issue you have with Apple, and you bought into their top-down ecosystem where they can push whatever the hell they want to you at any up, time. It, it didn't show up in my inbox. I had to go looking for it. Oh, good. Okay, so, you've got so, your settings right. Yeah, then. most people don't. Yeah, but um, so so uh, first to respond to what, something you said about Radiohead doing that—that's actually the model for Bandcamp. Mm-hmm. So I think like now, um, now Radiohead made a fuck ton of money. Radiohead funded their entire recording career for the rest of their career. Yeah. Off that album. Right. By doing that. And but they but, band, but, but let's point out they didn't need to do that. They could do that because they're Radiohead. Yes. You two absolutely didn't need to do this. Yeah. They can do it and can make ungodly sums of money because yeah. they're you two. This is when the when the brand surpasses anything that has to do with the music, mm-hmm. nobody's talking about the music on this album. No. Everybody's talking about the strategy. Right. That it's it's PR mm-hmm. and it's branding, and that's well, all the, it the is. The reason, like, and, and back to like the original question, the reason people are talking about the strategy is because some people, uh, I'm actually not one of them, see it as a threat to like smaller bands, how recorded music, and how you do this, and. You know, whether or not, okay, are you just going to make an album now and give it away and literally reducing it down to your entire income is touring and merch? Um, That's a hard road, man, if you don't have a guaranteed, like, fan base. And I don't think that, yeah, and I don't think that is. I think in some ways it 
is opening up a conversation that a lot of smaller bands just need to face reality. Mm-hmm. Be like, your entire fan base may only grow to you know 1,500 people. 5,000 people, 10,000 people. It, it may never get bigger than that. Right. Um, and so this saying, like, I can't make any money off, like, selling my albums, like, that's because you don't have enough people to buy your albums. Right. Um, but I think that this is, it's a little misdirection right here. I think that the, the, more, yeah. the more relevant question is about when we talked about this, like, I think six months ago on the mm-hmm. podcast, when we had the long thing about beats and streaming and things like that. This is no different than dropping it onto a streaming service and beats not making it. Beats, who also has a share in Apple. Right. And yeah. so it's on Beats, too. Yes. But this is no different than dropping it onto a streaming service and just not making physical copies available. Yeah. And I guarantee that somewhere in this contract is that they get to put out the ultra deluxe vinyl physical copy oh, for their fans. it's exclusive till October 13th when the release date comes Right. And then, and then they'll get to put out whatever they want for the super fans and things like that. But how much of music these days is consumed through Spotify, RDO, mm-hmm. services you pay and then pay a very small amount to the artists on a per play basis, which, mm-hmm. is a, which is a controversy in and of itself. This right here, I don't see as being disturbing at all. A huge band gets paid $100 million to drop an album for an exclusive period mm-hmm. of just over a month onto a streaming service and an iTunes doc. It's just money changing hands between two big yeah. corporations. It doesn't change anything mm-hmm. about the system. Two, two for big any corporations to who that amount of money is essentially meaningless anyway. Yeah, it's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's just it's a point of pride. shuffling numbers yeah. back and forth. Yeah. It doesn't have anything to do with like the culture I, of music. I think the more cynical side of it, though, is, is that they basically effectively um, did away with their marketing campaign because instead of saying, okay, we, I mean, look, they have not put out a good album since Pop, which wasn't a good album. Like, I, it, it pains me to say this. Like, if they had just stopped after Joshua Tree, like, they put out Rattle Home, which is the greatest hits and whatever, and, like, they would have had this legacy. I think they got lucky with Octoon Baby. I think that's a great album. But And I say this as somebody who's a huge fan of you, too. But that tour for that was mocking exactly what they're doing now. <laughs> right. I mean, that, that was the point of the tour. That was the point of making that kind of music. To mocking, mock, mocking big, dumb mock corporate what they're doing rock. Now. And, and <laughs> to mock what they're doing now. But that was their biggest tour to date, and they were going around with like giant lemons well, okay, and crap say, like that in the say, stadium. I should, I should say the artistic yeah. reason you behind don't, it. You don't get to mock something when you're making a shit ton of money yeah, off yeah, yeah. of doing the exact thing you're supposedly right. mocking. That's just thumbing right. your nose at your fans. But if you look at it like from a marketing perspective, it's like you and actually there was a statement on on U2's homepage it essentially said this, you know, if you uh, never heard of U2, now you now's your opportunity. If you haven't listened to U2 in a while, here's your opportunity. If you love U2, here's a thank you to this. So it covers like every single base delivering this product to people whether they like it or not, it much more effectively and and like a much deeper like market penetration than they could with any commercial, any marketing campaign. It's just like instant delivery. And that's the part that is just like, I like if, if bands start to do that, I think you're going to have like, the art is going to suffer. I think the problem, the, the, uh, the thing is though that you say bands and they're just, uh, I think we established that there just aren't bands no. that can do this. And, at this point, the quote-unquote art is so beside the point for you, too. Yeah. As you pointed out, they haven't made a good album in a long time. Mm-hmm. 
none of their longstanding fans are going like, oh, man, I really want to go back and re-listen to How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb. Like, they're going back to Octum, baby. They're going right. back to Joshua Tree. You'd be surprised. There's a whole new Fine, but, younger base. Uh, but it's... I don't think the music is the thing here. Yeah. It's just like U2's got a new album. It doesn't matter what the album is. U2's got a new album. It's a news cycle. It's mm-hmm. PR. It's going to kick off a new tour. It's going to keep the money flowing into what, to what everybody's do, to what them and everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to pivot too quickly here, but I'm much more interested in what Foo Fighters are doing with their new album, with like the eight part documentary that they're putting yeah, out. Yeah. Like I think that well, we can talk about that, that because a, I think this. Well, falls we can talk about that in a future in a future podcast. I well, guess. Yeah. But like, but that, it also ties in a little bit to the Ryan Adam, Adams yeah. thing about. But like that, I think is a fascinating way to use being one of the bigger bands in the world. It is, and 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 maybe it will be a later podcast. Although, we, like I said, we will talk a little bit about it in the Ryan Adams discussion. Um, you know, there is this thing where the celebrity outweighs the the, the music side mm-hmm. of it, um, and then an artist starts to play off that. U two certainly does, and and has this at this point uh, for this. Uh, I think Ryan Adams does too, um, which we'll talk more about, but. You know, and Foo Fighters are, but I think Foo Fighters are doing that in a good way. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, using his powers for good. <laughs> I want to. I mean, I want to see what they actually do with this. But everything I've read, uh, previewing the documentaries that they're doing, yeah. it sounds fascinating. And even if, even if the end product isn't great, I love the idea behind what they're doing right here. And that's a you know, well that that's when you when you're like I've already made. They're making more money off this, obviously. But when you're like. It's, there's no risk. Like you're not going bankrupt. You're never going to not be famous. You've established your legacy, right. so you might as well use it to do something cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The interesting aspect of that documentary, though, is he's, he's hitting different musical cities and different musical yep. regions. And doesn't it sort of feel like, like, I mean, what with you know the idea that someone's a, a guy's going to put a band out and maybe his fan base is going to be fifteen hundred people? It almost feels like we're drifting back into the model of regional kind of. Hot spots and regional different bit. types and, of and music. I, and, yeah, and, and the know? more we talk about this, the more I think there's uh, somewhere down the line, hopefully before the years out, a, a conversation, a podcast about that. You know, you know, um, yeah, because uh, while, for example, like Grohl could not do this when he first started out, maybe he could have. No, I don't think he could have. I, I, I don't think that. I, I think this is the. At this point, they've reached. Um, They've reached the level of status. They probably could have done it five years ago, yeah. but I don't think before then. Like even when even when they were in like their color in the shape like Everlong period back there, I don't think that they had the cachet. Right. At this point, they've reached they've reached that level where the fact of a Foo Fighters album mm-hmm. is more important than what's on the Foo Fighters album. The yeah. fact of a yeah. Foo Fighters well, tour well, is more I important mean, than so, how good so, the tour so is. So back to the U two issue then. You, like they're doing this thing, which is way more than U two is doing. Like if U two had this. Like documentary about struggles with the IRA, which is mm-hmm. something they've sung about their entire career to accompany this. Like basically do good instead of just do commercial uh, stuff. And the Foo Fighters thing is commercial. Like, do we expect the Foo Fighters album to drop on iTunes like this? I don't. It think doesn't matter. I don't think it will. I don't think it matters, but I don't think it will. It doesn't seem like what they're going for. Okay. I'm wondering how they're going to do it. Are they going to put? Are they going to do the documentary first and then put out the album? Uh, I forget the release date. Yeah, but I, don't I, th- know. I think it's the because the documentary is like I wouldn't 10 be, episodes. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. The documentary series it. starts at Sunday and then it comes out. Yeah, on Tuesday. that would make gotcha. sense. You and then if get they that. flip the release dates to Friday, like they're talking about, then that'll they'll have synergy. So we're talking about marketing. That's what you want. Marketing synergy. Yeah. Yeah, you need to have that, that first week's cycle 
you know, dominated by Foo Fighters, yeah. right. which it will be. All right. Well, so uh, if you're listening, have any thoughts on the uh, YouTube thing? Email us at <laughs> what was it last time? <laughs> shut the fuck up! shut the fuck up at chunkyglasses. Yeah, it was yeah. shut the fuck up at chunkyglasses.com. Uh, oh no, it was go fuck yourself, wasn't it? Oh, let's go fuck yeah, yourself. Yeah, it was get the fuck yeah. off our lawn. Well, that that's another one. Yeah, yeah. we have so many email addresses <laughs> with fucking them. It's none of it is appropriate. Uh, for if only we were sponsored by Google, right. <laughs> <laughs> you could have all of them. Um, let's talk about some Ryan Adams. Driving through the streets tonight. It's hard, I got the windows down I wish I could call you, I wish you were still around Nothing much left in the tank Somehow this thing still drives Get forgot what it needed but somehow still survives And all the walls we build, they must come down Hey, you're my red cabin ball Won't you come and maybe knock me down Hey, you're my red cabin ball Won't you come and maybe knock me down Hey, you're my red cabin ball Won't you come and knock me down Come and knock me down Come and knock me down Lying in the bed at night Feeling like I'm somebody else My thoughts inside my head Get lost inside the haunted house All right, that there's uh, my wrecking ball off the... uh... It's Ryan Adams covering Miley Cyrus. (laughs) No, uh, No, off of his latest... And first self-titled release, let's see, we have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, not counting EPs and a recent uh, sort of weird studio thing, uh, 1984 release. Every journal entry is a song with that guy. And every journal entry is a song. That certainly is one. That is sensitive. But that, that's the type of song that made him famous. Right. Um, the thing about Ryan Adams, and Paul and I were talking about this, um, is that the guy... You shouldn't like. I don't think you should judge artists on their personality. Like people hate on Kanye, but listen to the music. And then if you don't like the music, then you know, then tell him to fuck off. Oh, yeah. Dude, yeah. No, you don't. I, I, I hated him. I saw him. Yeah, yeah. At at I, I saw Whiskey Town at Iota. Yeah. In like well, I yeah. I was going to get to Whiskey Town. Nineteen ninety seven. Uh huh. And it was the it was a. Debacle, and he was a complete asshole on stage. But Whiskey was, Town's awesome. Man. They, they weren't that night. They <laughs> well, were shithoused and and throwing stuff. And he was yelling at the crowd, yelling at everybody. And the crowd started going, "Well, fuck you," you know. Um, and I hated his guts instantly without ever hearing a note right. like of his music. And then like later on, I actually heard uh, some of his stuff, and I was like, "Oh, yeah, okay, all right, yeah. okay." And I don't think you're you're in the minority with that. I think yeah. a lot of people um, are. Okay. Like, but then again, like, that's fair because this guy. I don't want to go fucking camping with the guy, or right? Anything. Exactly. He you just want to listen to his he, stuff. It's not like we're, we're going to be buds. He doesn't owe me anything, but like you know, so he is decent music. He is famous, famously uh, at least labeled as such a, a genre hopper. I don't know how much that's true because mm-hmm. uh, while his voice is pretty sterling, there's not much range. Like that that's how he sounds. Like if yeah. he, if he sings like, I don't think this album jo- hops in a genre. No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> no, you know, I know exactly where yeah. this album this is, is. This is pretty much in its uh, lane. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh his last album was uh produced by super producer Glenn Johns. 
Uh, this one, uh, he's done an interview uh, about it, and he says that basically the studio, his studio, Paxam, he built in the past few years, is behind where he recorded Ashes and Fire, and it would have cost like a month's rent for a day there. As mm-hmm. opposed to doing it. So he said, you know what? I want to do this myself. Uh, Ashes and Fire was not a great record. Right. It was not a great moment for him. He is known for having not great records. Uh, for my money, uh, I think the high point, uh, or multiple high points, yet Heartbreaker, uh, and then on to the uh, Cold Roses, Jacksonville City Nights. Then, I feel like it's like Heartbreaker and everything else, honestly, but that's well, just me. And then, and then that same year, Drop 29, which was like just... A fucking horrible album. Yeah, he's hit or miss. I mean, because I thought I thought with the the Cardinals were a great band. I thought, yeah, I thought Jacksonville City Nights was a great album. It I, is. I also liked Easy Tiger as well. Um, you know, I, I thought both of those were. And Easy Tiger was just him by him without the Cardinals, but mm-hmm. uh, he's, it, was more, he's, it, it was more poppy. Yeah, but but like but then again, Jacksonville City Nights sounded. You know, that was that sounded like very much a country album yeah. to me. And uh, you know, I. I I liked him. The thing is, I can't call him versatile because versatile means that you're good right. at everything. And he's, I think he's willing to dive into different things, but that doesn't mean that he's good at absolutely everything. Yeah. And, um, but you're willing to sort of like, you're willing to sort of be like, all right, well, he took a risk. It's like, you know, watching Evil Knievel jump, jump the fountain at Caesar's Palace. And you're like, man, I hope he, I hope he makes it. But then he, you know eat shit and you're like well you know okay buddy good job you know you didn't you didn't make it but you you were brave to try um but the problem with this album is is he's not really taking any risks at all i well i i sort of like disagree a little okay in that like i do think it's a risk to uh, sort of go for the Glenn Fry from Miami Vice soundtrack. That's what vibe. I'm saying. Yeah, or so, no, with, and, ben, with Ben Montan. And this is why. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is why. I, this is why I said I, up front. I actually I, no. Look, it sounds here, like a fucking here, 80s Paul, album. Paul, Paul, hold on. It sounds like go, hold on. Go, go. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, it's not. It sounded, dude. It sounded like a kind of mid-tempo, like. 1980s. How much saxophone was on the Ryan Adams album? Sounded like he had. It, it, honestly, it sounds like. Jump ahead. Wait. Dun, dun, dun. Oh shit. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I don't see it. Alright, that little bit hurts inside. Yeah. If you don't. Oh, if you don't see it. Like, this is like. It, why do we have to play like random '80s spot the spot the reference game every fucking podcast? <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't. No, he doesn't do it every podcast. He just does it on albums where it sounds like it's a fucking '80s album. I think that we could probably find nine out of ten podcasts. Look, Ben Mon- He's it, yeah. It's just everything's really mid tempo, and sometimes he's doing like a little Bruce Springsteen inflection, mm-hmm. but not the good Bruce Springsteen, mm-hmm. like Tunnel of Love. Yeah, but that's uh, what I'm saying. And he's gone on record as saying that, that this is a very... He wanted to dig into the 80s type of songwriting. Mm-hmm. There is a very 80s type of songwriting in this. I mean, it right. is from song to song, if you go down the whole track list, there isn't a lot of variation. There's a lot of talking about weird struggles that you only had in the uh, uh, in the 80s, as opposed to the 70s, which was like the road or the show that you were struggling against, you know? Yeah. This is just like... Like SNL problems? Or yeah, I, I, I don't know, but... Um, 
the Iran Contra affair. For it sounds like he had. The, it sounds like he had John Cafferty in the Beaver Brown. Right, band right, right. Here. You know, just you know. A, just an unnamed struggle. Like like John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band, like on on some like after they just smoked a bomber. Yeah. You know, just just kind of relaxed, not really not really killing it. You know, just nice boom, pop, boom, pop, nice middle of the road stuff. You know, and that's fine. Um, but I I just it sounded okay, but there wasn't anything that really grabbed me. And that first song, it, it just seems weird to actually bring in Ben Montanch mm-hmm. on a song that sounds like Tom Petty, which would be the first the first track. Yeah, yeah uh, I mean, you know, can we play that? That's sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, so. you'll you'll hear you'll hear that instantly recognizable Ben Montanch, and the vibe is one hundred percent Heartbreakers, mm-hmm. except. It's not. Except you know. it's different. So hold yeah. on. This is a, nothing wrong with the heartbreak. That's no, fine. Let's, hey, let's, okay. Let's give, this is give me something good. The, the, the leadoff track of me out. Yeah. Give me something good off the Miami Vice soundtrack part eight. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it, yeah, Ben Montrent, it sounds like Tom Petty. Yeah, it uh, does. Yeah. And that's fine. I mean, you know, it's it's better, you know, if you're going to cover cover an 80s thing, yeah, better yeah. that than something else. You I know? wish more people but sounded it, like it does. Tom yeah, Petty. it sounds like it sounds like something that didn't make, make like a demo for Damn the Torpedoes that, like, didn't yeah. make the record or something. Yes. And that's fine. I just, you know, it just seems weird to bring in Ben Montanch mm-hmm. to do a song that sounds exactly well, like Tom Petty. And, and that's sort of the thing about this album. I think we're going to eventually get to, like, one more song. Um, it's hard, uh, I think, for this album, any of his output, I think, after Jacksonville City Nights, to sort of dissect it because the guy is, he, he's, he's a master craftsman. Mm-hmm. These are not, like, it's not like he wrote... A badly constructed song, um, but there's not a lot I think that's really hitting, right? Like that makes you feel something. I mean, except '80s nostalgia, but that's yeah, neither here nor there. But you know, so whereas on Heartbreaker you had all these things that definitely tapped more into the alt country uh, feel, uh, Cold Roses, uh, more of the dead feel and stuff. This being pop, which is which is what it is, um, it's weirdly like. Satisfying, but not. It's like a bowl of macaroni and cheese with some tuna fish in it. 
tastes good, but it's not really yeah. very. That actually sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lottie die, your fucking Majesty. That's bachelor casserole. It's awesome. Bowl of mac and cheese, some tuna. You can like like heat up some frozen peas, chuck them in there. You're golden. Yeah, I'm not behind you on that oh one. God. <laughs> so if if we take if we take a look at though, at him from that perspective, um. And this is where I wanted to talk about the celebrity thing. I, I think uh, I saw him Monday night. Had many problems. This is going to tie into the review we're going to write of the show. Mm-hmm. One of them was that uh, the photographers were all shoved to the back, made to sign a very shitty release. Oh uh, wow! Um, like they they own the photos if you publish them. Really? Yeah. So, it was some good legalese. Yeah, it was. At Paul, I mean, and, you and, took a look. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, and so it was some really good uh, California legalese, Heartbreaker Inc. Uh, but the show itself was pretty snoozastic, except for uh, the Cold Roses material. And that's just because I, I skew towards like a more dead fan sound. I like that area, uh, era. I like those albums by him. Um, and all the while, he's got this narrative going where he's much healthier than he was. Before, he was like stupid addicted to drugs. Uh, I saw him at Constitution Hall, and he just walked off the second set after two songs. People didn't know what was going on. Like, 45 minutes later, he comes back. Um, so I hate that temperamental horse shit. Oh, it's so easy. All you have yeah. to do is show up and play. Mm-hmm. My God, that's what you do. You know. Well, now he's talking about yeah, Meniere's disease, which, you know, whatever. You know, that... I'm I'm sure that has an effect. Mm. That's that can't be a blanket thing for you know fifteen twenty years of no. career. Just can't. Um, but my point is is like so you have this guy who's obviously talented, uh, making not substandard albums, but like I personally want something a little more. And and he's bought into this though. So like he didn't want the press there. There's no influencing this guy, and. So I sort of see this album right now as something. It's it's like a fluke. Mm-hmm. I didn't like Easy Tiger. That was okay. I, I liked it. It was I, okay. I, I liked it. Yeah. I, I thought it was. I thought it was definitely better than this one. Right. You know. Um, and I'm not. That's not to say that I think this album is bad. I just think this album is is thoroughly unremarkable. Mm-hmm. You know. There's just not a lot happening. Uh, you know. It. Everything's kind of mid tempo. Uh, you know. Everything's just right dead in the middle mm-hmm. um i don't think there's you know the guitars are all just kind of evenly balanced and and, right. and there's nothing really interesting happening i mean this just sounds like music i've heard a million times uh just in a different package mm-hmm. you know and eh, that's fine i guess um but i i i would have liked to have seen if it's a first album in three years and we were talking about that earlier it's like you know that Everyone's well, yeah. making a big deal out of that because he puts out four albums while you're brushing your teeth. But, um, you know, for three years' wait, I would have thought that he would have done something a little bit more exciting. Well, you know, but like it, a little I bit guess more like my, back, question, you know? my question is I wonder if he was, like, with all of this uh, narrative around uh, him being healthier and mm-hmm. transition and stuff. It might just be deliberate that he wasn't trying to do something more exciting. I, I know you guys were saying that there's not yeah. that there's not much that does it for you here. I think a lot of these lyrics are really confessional, though. They sound like personal lyrics on a lot of the songs. And the fact that this is his first 
self-titled album. Mm -hmm. The fact that he's been off for four years when he used to bust out albums like once every month. Mm -hmm. Um, It feels like an attempt at a reboot almost. He says says it's self-titled because he just couldn't think of a name. Well, that's but that's fine. Like that almost plays into it more right there. Like it's it's just like start it over, see what you're going to do next. So to but actually to to finish with the point I was trying to make about him buying into his own stardom, which I mean he's married to Mandy Moore. Like this is this is a star, like American, like you know paparazzi worthy couple, whatever. Um, He talks a lot about how much other shit he's made, like how he and he talked about it at the show about. I just go in and I record nonstop, you know, twenty four seven. Do this much like Ty Siegel does, which we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the show, at the end of this fairly tame show, um, the band, which honestly was the best band I've seen him play with, was very loose. I mean, you could tell he's he's in a much better place as far as a performer goes. Uh, are talking about all this stuff that uh, people are. Like that they do in the studio, like they were going to play Purple Rain. They're like, "Oh no, you wouldn't like it. You wouldn't like it and stuff." And instead of being like, "I, you know what? I really love music and I love doing this, so I'm just going to do this," like he pushed out. And so, like, I guess the analogy I'm trying to make is that like this album, if he's really going out and doing all these things, he's like, "I wake up in the morning, I make." music from like 8 to 10 whatever and it's all different kind of genres like fucking put it out like don't don't put an album of just this like you are he's at a level now he could he could fart into a mic for 40 minutes and people would like swoon <laughs> you think so yeah that's, you uh, think he has that kind of clout I think well, I don't know that he has that kind of clout. I think he thinks he does. And I don't, that's, that's what's confusing about this. I don't know that he actually does have that kind of clout, man. I I I don't think that Ryan Adams overall, I mean Ryan Adams has great Critical acclaim, uh-huh. but I don't know that he has great record sales, man. But he sells out shows. He sells out shows, he right? Yeah, he sells out so shows. So that allows him to basically. But you that, know. I guess that's what I'm getting. What we're talking about is like he has great critical acclaim for what? Just that he puts out an album. It's come to think of it, when was the last time you heard Ryan Adams on the radio? When was the last time you? I mean, I mean, when was not, the last time you listened to the but, radio? But not that, okay, not yeah. that, that. But you know what I mean. Not that yeah. that matters anymore. But aside from the occasional like. What, he ends up on Soundcheck on WNYC? He ends up on, like, uh, All Songs Considered on NPR? Mm-hmm. And, and, like, a few, like, music blogs and, and like, the, the, well, the music and blogs and stuff like that. But I don't, I don't hear, like... His songs end up in movies? I don't hear kids going, like, man, fucking, fucking Ryan Adams, like, on a, on a grand scale mm-hmm. and all that, you know? Um, That's because the kids these days, they like the beeps and the bloops. Yes, and they, they do. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think I think he's living off of critical acclaim rather than uh-huh. actual actual you know units moved, which is fine. Uh-huh. Um, and but I also don't necessarily buy that because he's married to Mandy Moore. He's like paparazzi worthy. I don't I, know. Why, I don't either. I don't, I don't know why he's all paranoid about like because I don't. I don't. It's not like I see him in fucking Us Weekly and and you know magazines well, like that or anything like that. I mean. It, I guess this is about how I like I perceive an artist and how others perceive an artist. I mean, everybody that everybody at that show was drunk as fuck, right? And but they were like seeing Ryan Adams was like seeing Jesus. Really? Yeah, really. So those who those who like him, so those are really, really like really him like him because of this image that's been cultivated and stuff. And and you can go and say things like, you know, he's, he's he was on hiatus for three years. No, that's called an album cycle. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, and so. 
I don't buy into any of that, and all I really want is the output. And it's frustrating because I've he I've heard him do great, great work. So have I. Yeah, he is capable of amazing things. Um, and this yeah. is better than he's done in a while. Yeah, it is. But this just this is just this just feels like uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. Is it a, is it okay if I use baseball? Terminology. It's like uh, I mean, I won't understand you, but Paul. Paul like, it's like he just hit a. He just he got. It's a single, but it's just yeah. a, it's a single because it like just barely got through the legs of an infielder. Yeah, you know, and that's it's all the it. same in the box score. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> let's let's hear uh, one more song and then uh, start to wrap this up here. This is a stay with me. From the Top Gun Two soundtrack, right, exactly. the new hit from Kenny Loggins. <laughs> Dude, they actually are making that movie. So, oh, fuck, are they right? making yeah, Top they Gun Two? Uh, they, they, it's in production. I guess that's my point. I, I mean, I actually like this album. I like it despite uh, its its mediocrity. Um, I think it it goes. Uh, it has one gear, and that's just typical like Ryan Adams stuff. There's no stretching on it. I, I just sort of agree with his aesthetic for this. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I don't know. Uh, yeah, uh, it's just, it just, it's just unremarkable. Did we just crash and yeah? Like, I think, <laughs> honestly, this the album, first crash, like, yeah, Paul's just like shaking his head, like, why are we talking about this, this man? Yeah, like, I mean, are, are we still talking about it? I think we're we've cycled through our opinions. On yeah, this we're, yeah, we're yeah, we're done with thoroughly, this yeah. one. The, this, Paul, what are you gonna do? Buy it? No. Yeah. Okay. I like it. But you. I don't need to say that much about it. I like the album. It's fine. It's not great. Well, it's not going to make my okay, top ten, but I'll buy it. You need to say something to me about it because, like, why do you – if none of the songs are, like, really great and it's just sort of a pleasing thing, like, why do you – why are you going to buy it? I like the style of music. I think he's – I told you. I think he's – I think he wrote some good songs. Okay. I think the lyrics are good on this. Um, it's – like I said, it's nothing that I'm going to be, like – next year blown away by but my buy list is different than my top 10 list and if i'm like am i gonna listen to this album again yeah i'm gonna listen to this album again am i gonna listen to this in five years probably not before we get to yeah i'm like uh how will this do with the ladies um you know what i'm saying you know with my lady she really liked it when i was playing it last night she came home so oh (laughs) (laughs) yeah my my lady probably my lady would not give a shit about this really (laughs) 
You know, although I can see I can see some slow dancing going on. Daria laughed at me for liking it because she knows Glenn Fry. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, I am going to stream it mm-hmm. again. It's it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's it's fine, and and there's some good stuff on it, and it's always great to hear Ben Montage. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, but. Yeah, he didn't really floor me with this one. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure that if he continues, if he's back on the horse and he, you know, starts putting out albums at his at his usual pace, I'm sure it won't be too long before something something great comes along. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm also going to stream it because I, as much as I love that 80s kick to it and mm-hmm. stuff, it, I mean, it's a novelty. It'll wear off. And, yeah. I, and honestly, I, I heard that last song and I'm like, well, fuck, I'll download the... Uh, Miami Vice soundtrack. Right. And that's exactly what I did. And listen to Glenn Fry. So wasn't there Don wasn't Don Johnson on that too? You belong to the no, city. No, it wasn't Heartbeat. Oh, oh Heartbeat, <laughs> yeah. That's that's the jam. <laughs> but yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's about it for Ryan Adams. Um and I think that's about it for our podcast. Uh I will tell you though, uh well this was well, it was talking about surprising albums or surprises coming up. One album no, it's coming for a long time, and we're going to talk about it, I think, in two weeks. Uh, completely surprising. The new Tweety album is fucking good. Is this, did his son? Did his straight son, out the gate. Did his son find it difficult Paul. to believe? No, well, you can listen to it now. So, okay. so to take care of that. This is uh, Jeff Tweedy and his son. I'm sure. And there is, uh, I, I've been following Wilco since they began. Yeah. I've been twenty I, years. I've been struggling with Wilco. Well, I struggle, the last two I, albums. I, no, I struggle with Wilco. Like I, I mean, I thought I thought a like loved him mm-hmm. at first. Loved AM. You know, um, I just think as soon as they got after a while, they started fe- feeling more like experiments and less like songs. You know, um, I'll I'll give you and uh, we'll, we'll definitely be yeah, talking if, about that. Yeah, okay, no, absolutely. <laughs> but so, but I'm eager to hear the Jeff, the new Jeff Tweedy. I, yeah, I, you know, it's, to see it, that, it, that it was surprising. About. It's the best Wilco album since Summer Teeth. So make of that what you will. Okay, no innocent. <laughs> no, yes, it is. because the best Wilco album since Summer no. Teeth is. Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. And we're going to fight. <laughs> All right, so that is our podcast for the week. Um, we still haven't figured out the sign-off. You said, uh, get the fuck off my lawn. Yeah. Paul, what do you, what do you say? Turn, uh, turn that shit down. <laughs> it's done. Yay. The podcast is over. I don't know what you want. <laughs> you know, I have no um, sign-off. <laughs> come hang out on our lawn? I, I don't know. No, that sounds kind of creepy. <laughs> <laughs> hey kids, hey. come here and hang out on the lawn. I've got this panel van. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Andre's out of the country, yeah. and I just said it to you. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, so whatever. Our lawn is there. Do with it what you will. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's worse. <laughs> uh, we'll talk to everybody next week. <laughs>